Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I am joined by Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening. And our friend, Kotaku's Luke Plunkett. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for coming back. So tonight, we're revisiting Unity of Command 2, in part because that game just had its Barbarossa expansion. This follows on the heels of its uh, War in the West uh, expansion, where it covered... uh, there, I think it was actually Blitzkrieg and then War in the West, but uh, basically their their campaigns covering the invasion of Poland and the invasion of France. So now they come back to Barbarossa, which is, of course, ground the Unity of Command series has already covered with Unity of Command 1. And I was really interested in seeing how Barbarossa felt in this new system, because it is a very different game than Unity of Command 1. And I thought this would be an interesting moment to sort of compare side by side what these two games really are about and how when you sort of model the same campaign uh, in both systems, it takes on, in my opinion, a completely different cast. And uh, just to let you know, it turns out I'm a much worse general in Unity of Command 2. Uh, Barbarossa is impossible. I don't know. Uh, how anything good happened uh, for for the Germans in that campaign, because it certainly didn't break that way for me. Uh, how how did how did you all find it? Um, I mean, Unity of Command Two is a harder game, and uh, then Unity of Command One. It's uh, got a lot more going on. I think it's a more interesting game. Though I'm a huge fan of Unity of Command One. Uh, we talked about we talked about USC two the first time. We talked a lot about how the different unit powers and different options and trying to break through uh, strong points. How that all added to an interesting tactical game. Um, and Barbarossa is, of course, an interesting strategic problem. Right, you have these huge land masses you have to cover. Uh, you're generally outnumbered by poor quality troops um and to keep things interesting uh the game sets the objective targets as if they get to your objective in a certain number of turns they're just set close enough to be impossible but doable if you take some (laughs) risks and plan things quite right uh so i found it very very challenging um and the it has a nice mix of, you know, the really large, this is the Ukraine, have fun scenarios, and smaller, you know, a knife fight in a phone booth, Crimean uh, type uh, stuff where there's not a lot of land to deal with. It's just you and your guys going up the gates, their guys, and you're not going to have the grand encirclements. And that's not, and if you plan for grand encirclements and the smaller things, it's going to end up being worse. So, I mean, UOC two, UOC two shines when it's about supply, and when it becomes, you know, cracking a nut, it becomes a much more different game. I think. Yeah, that leads into sort of some of my overriding thoughts about it. I I don't know about you guys. I haven't finished it no, because God, no. it it started to really bum me out that I was doing so badly in it. Um, the yeah, the the fact that it has these sort of very different missions where you will sort of play, like you just said, Troy, you'll play those huge sweeping maneuver-based encircling missions on these enormous maps where you can send your tanks out running. And then it'll cut to like the, the Finland 
think it was one Finland mission, maybe two, but one of them was just a, a horrible siege mission in this in this awful terrain. And it's like I'm having trouble reconciling sort of moving between here are my tactics and I'm having all this fun on these huge open maps and now I'm being asked to sort of dig these guys out of these entrenched positions and that's basically all this mission is about. And I was, I was having a lot of trouble sort of constantly switching between those two asks of me. Um, yeah, I feel like the game shines a lot more when it's the former, when it is sort of doing that Barbarossa thing where you've got these enormous, you know, grassy plains and you've got 10 tanks that are racing ahead of your supply lines and you're trying to match the supply lines behind them. And that's almost a greater challenge than actually fighting the Russian units who, like you said, in this sort of campaign are very underpowered and, and underwhelming. So yeah, a few different things that sort of may have fit together a bit more nicely in the original Unity of Command 2 campaigns. Sort of, I feel like the way they've broken them up here is a bit more of a challenge and it's a bit more jarring. I don't know. I feel... So for me, when I think about the Unity of Command 1 campaign, um, one of the things I feel in retrospect is that that is a game that kind of loves the myth of the slashing, elegant, uh, surgical Blitzkrieg. That's the fantasy of that game, is just finding the seams in uh, Soviet lines in those in those early campaigns and just beating the hell out of them and watching their entire uh, formations collapse as you effortlessly, you know, bust their line and cut through their supply lines behind them and make these huge encirclements. Um, and one of the things that I think that game sort of conditions you to, to think is that that is a game that didn't really encourage you to absorb many casualties, right? Like if you were doing well in unity of command one, a lot of times you were winning a lot of almost bloodless victories. Well, bloodless for, for your guys. And so in that game, I, I, I got very accustomed to if, if I had like good units have attacks go bad, that was a bad sign for how the remainder of that scenario was, was likely to play. And that made for a very fun game. Like, I think it was one of the best uh, sort of puzzle-esque war games I've ever played, uh, for sure. But with Unity of Command 2, I think the thing that is jumping out at me as I play this, and, and Luke, when you mentioned, like, that some of these scenarios just don't feel fun, I think one of the things that Unity of Command 2 did as part of its brief was to model far less dynamic campaigns trying to find fun gameplay in just grueling grimy stalemates right like unless you can create good stalemate mechanics you can't do italy um and they succeeded at doing that and so now there is more of that stuff in the barbarossa campaign but it requires a very different way of thinking about success and i think one of the things that kept tripping me up as I played this is that almost no matter what I do, the campaign's going to be a bloodbath. Um, like it felt like even when I was doing my breakthrough uh, and encirclement tactics, correct. My units were getting bled white uh, just constantly because you still have to 
destroy the Soviet units, you still have to get in their faces and continue bashing away at them. And what that meant is that it, for me, like it became a little harder to know when, it, when I was doing well, because doing poorly and doing well, both felt kind of bad in this compared to what I was accustomed to with unity of command, uh, unity of command one. Uh, but, but also I think you're still dealing with the huge distances of unity of, of Barbarossa and the Eastern front here. So unlike in, in the base game of unity of command two, where objectives were tantalizingly close, like, yeah, it's a slog, but I just need, I just need to get to Monte Casino and thing will be better. It's just a couple hexes away here. It's a slog. And I just start panning the camera over looking for Moscow. And I'm like, fuck, that's far. And then I don't know how many missions you've, well, not failed, but the the mechanic they have, and I don't think I ever hit this previously in the whole game, which is why it stood out to me here. So, so correct me if it was existing in previous expansions, but when you run out of turns and it says, would you like to request from command that you'd be given a bit more time? And I was like, ah, yes, I'm still like three turns away from winning this mission. Yes, please give me one more turn. And it's like, okay, but the escalating cost every time you ask, and then that carries through into further missions. And so it's like, ah, this is a long way from Moscow and I'm already up to like 400 prestige points just for one extra turn. I can't justify that cost anymore, but my whole campaign's now hinging on, like a couple of turns that felt like it's really bummed me out. And it's one of the reasons why I don't think I've pushed through and and really wanted to finish the campaign yet is it's just started getting a little bit, I know you've already touched on this Rob, but a little bit demoralizing that it's, you know, it's constantly a downer even when you're doing well. And I I find that even down on the, the macro level where my units, I'm having trouble keeping my units at full strength, even, um, you know, I'm having trouble keeping my prestige points up and it's, it just, yeah, it feels less like a triumphant advance, you know, and more like a death slog <laughs> and I'm not even up to that part of the war yet. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been a real challenge so far in that way. One thing that it, Unity of Command still doesn't do all that well, and I think it worked. Look at Unity of Command two when it came out, and it was looking at uh, you know the 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 rush to take down Germany in the West. Uh, it, it seemed to work all right. There was a lot of just you you were just banging on these guys till you found the opening, and then you'd rush through, and everyone would be surrounded, and that would be great. And it was great fun to do that. It's different here. And it feels very different. So it definitely feels like a different war where you are running up against you know, paper troops for the most part. But if you go too far and too fast, you will be outnumbered. You're outnumbered by crap generally, but there will be enough to cut you off, enough to slow you down. If you have to get to you know Kiev in 15 turns and then a couple of understrength tank divisions show up that you can take out no trouble but that will eat up two or three turns um so i think it both usc2 and barbarossa do capture uh the different parts of those made those campaigns different and interesting very very well in a very simple system but neither one really has much time for air power uh 
which I guess I I kind of get for doing the war in the West because the Allies have total superiority. So if you have too much air power, it might be kind of boring. Um, but Blitzkrieg in the East depended on air power. And you can get a little bit here and there. You get some strikes. And in the first uh, battle I played, I got the um, precision strikes, which can take uh, like take supply lines down two steps. So I just abused the hell out of that and just had every supply point I could get. Um, but generally there aren't, there isn't a lot of air power in this game. And I, I kind of like to see a little bit more of that just to capture that part of it. Now, whether they would do it well, I don't know. The system really is about supply lines more than anything else. And I mean, they don't even have trains really. Um, so I, I, I do wonder if they could do air power, but I, I kind of missed it. I kind of missed having my Stukas uh, and my Messerschmitts helping me out. Yeah, I think, and I think that also touches on something that um, Unity of Command 2, just in general, I think imposes, in, in the interest of, opening up the game and creating more variety and more possibilities. They also create a little more potential for uncertainty about whether you're really on the right track or whether you're doing the, the, the right thing. And I think air power is kind of emblematic of this where a lot of times you will have a free Stuka attack each turn. Um, you get one. The front is huge, so you have to choose one place where you get to roll the dice and hope that your air support will suppress a couple, um, you know, strength steps of a Soviet unit or something like that, uh, because that'll become that's crucial for if you can even break through. And so you're immediately wondering, like, am I using this in the right place? Um, and then you have other abilities that can be tied to cards you you know your deck of cards that you can play um and say well at this moment in this scenario i'm gonna burn this card and i'm gonna bring in extra bombing attacks uh or i'm going to bring in some extra supply trucks and that means i'm not going to be able to do that later in this campaign like this is i am i am putting my chips on this moment this this scenario um I sure hope that doesn't come back to haunt me. And I think when you combine all of that, plus the fact that, you know, the way this campaign opens, you have the whole conference uh, mechanic where before any unity of command uh, campaign chapter opens, you have all your various HQs and their various abilities. You can spend prestige upgrading HQs. They can, uh, give orders to units from farther away uh, so that they can have more special commands that they can give units uh, to give them cool abilities like set piece attacks, uh, which will just like are excel at suppressing enemy units and breaking form breaking defenses, uh, but don't risk ghastly casualties. Um, but there's so many places where you are making choices not just for the moment in this turn 
But then there's also long-term ramifications of this as well. And so there, there were definitely times where I'd be sitting there partway through the campaign and I'm wondering like, did I screw up here? Like, should I have just dumped way more points into the command range for my, for my Panzer uh, army HQs? Because they were constantly outrunning their command. And so they were constantly like running out of supply or they were running out of the ability to use those special headquarters orders. And so there were a lot of moments where I was like, this turn is hard. And I don't know if it's just that I'm handling this problem poorly or if I'm creating way harder problems for myself just because I made bad choices about like which HQs I decided to prioritize or when I decided to spend my extra air attacks. Um, and that makes it a little bit, uh, I don't know, again, the, the, this question of feel. It, it makes it harder for me to know like whether I'm on the right track here. Um, and I think because those points are so tantalizing, you see the victory points falling off uh as as you the scenario goes later and you fall farther behind schedule that there there's just so many moments where you could technically succeed but i'm also i also kind of feel like the game might be giving me a failing grade and maybe that's because i just made bad choices well before the scenario ever began yeah it's tough knowing whether that's intentional like one of the things I felt playing through this was that it actually feels, and you know, there's probably a good reason for that since the first game did this, but like this campaign feels like what most of these systems were designed for. It feels almost like a lot of the missions in Unity of Command 2 were in a straitjacket and the idea of grand encircling maneuvers and struggling to keep your supply lines, you know, up to speed with rapidly advancing Blitzkrieg tactics it feels like all those systems were custom made just for this campaign and the missions where that all comes together, which are largely the ones where you are, you know, big maps, lots of maneuvering, not many strong point breakdowns. That stuff's great. But then like you just said, Rob, you're in the moment. That stuff's amazing, but there's these points where you're unable to affect like some things that are frustrating you or leaving you short aren't you're not able to rectify them or fix them in the mission or on the spot you're reliant on decisions or or even worse on bad luck that came two missions ago three missions ago at a conference screen where you had no idea what was coming and what those missions are actually going to need um troy you said you had a bunch of those really useful precision bombing cards in your sort of you know whatever that your drawer of cards were like that's amazing for my first go at the campaign, I drew like three trucks and a naval bombardment. <laughs> it's like, I can't <laughs> use, like, I didn't really need the trucks. I found I was able to juggle the supply lines well enough that I didn't really need the trucks. But what I did need were way more airstrikes Damn. and I just didn't have any. Um, I had that standard, you know, one one strike per mission. And there's missions where I have, like, there's a, there's a river crossing mission later on um, in Army Group North where... There's like three distinct fortified positions that you have to assault across a river. And it's like, I have no air support for this at all. <laughs> and I haven't upgraded all of my headquarters for this specific purpose well enough, yep. but I didn't know this mission was coming. And I can't take that 
back now and now I'm just left kind of stuck on this mission, which, you know, I'm going to fail because of decisions that I had to make three or four turns ago, not knowing this was coming at all, which, yeah, it sucks a lot because I really love getting to that point where I am stuck and then I get stuck and it's like, oh, this, I don't know how much of this is my fault. I feel really bummed out by this. Let me ask you this. Is part of this just the problem of these sort of scoring systems that are so transparent about whether you're getting S rank or B rank or whatever? Um, because I think if I didn't know, if I didn't have these all these timers saying like, hey, uh, so you didn't you didn't take uh, Kiev in time. Sorry. It's it's worthless now. We don't even want it anymore. Uh, you fucked up. We've lost interest. If I didn't have that winding down constantly in the corner of my eye, I think I might enjoy the battles more because they are good fights. Like if it didn't have the sense of every minute you're not like kicking ass and rolling up Soviet positions, you're losing. Um these are vicious fights and to a degree, I think this, you know, what you were saying there, uh, Luke, I don't agree that it feels like this is what the system was made for. Cause I think the system works really well for Western front combat, but I, but I do agree that like, there's are so many different like types of combat and, and, and types of map that a lot of these abilities, a lot of these mechanics have their moments to shine and be really decisive here. And I think they've succeeded in creating the battles where you'll kind of be using every single tool available, like almost every turn. Like my, my, my HQs were constantly running out of action points. Cause I was just like, you know, play, playing every trick I could uh, to, to keep the lines moving. And I think if I didn't have this meta awareness that all of this was like wasting time and I wasn't getting the job done well, I was kind of failing. I think I might have finished these some of these missions and been like just breathless with how exciting it was. But it didn't feel that way. The bummer came when I looked and I was like, boy, I just I really didn't do well there and took a beating uh, just to get this far. And to me that just that seems like such a consequence of this to be clear very traditional and conventional war yeah that's the thing it's it's this you expect these games to have a tournament because that's what these games do but when you consider like it's such an abstract representation representation of time like do they need these turn limits like how much time is supposed to be passing between each turn? Like it's not telling me there is 10 hours per turn, you know, or, or 24 hours before turn it's, or I guess there is because of the weather changes, but like, it's, it's the way that these battles break down in a turn-based situation, make the passage of time almost irrelevant. And so what I actually did, cause I was getting, I was getting really frustrated, not with the primary objective time allowances, which I was generally just squeaking in under, but I found the bonus objectives almost universally impossible. Um, and I guess that was the only way I was completing the primary objectives on time is that I was having to just completely ignore the bonus objectives, which I'm going to assume is costing me points and historical what if missions opening later on. But like, I just have to do that. But 
to explore that, because I was thinking that too while I was playing this. So to explore that, I went and reinstalled Panzer Corps 2, which buried in the options okay. menu of Panzer Corps 2 has a disabled turn limit option for the entire camp. Like it's not yeah, there generally, but if you start a new campaign, it's in the campaign options and you can disable the turn limits. And they have they they try and like punish you in other ways to accommodate that, but it's absolutely liberating getting to play these games without that additional layer of pressure. It's like I I am trying to defeat these guys in as fast a time as possible anyway. Um, it's just so nice having no turns. And so it, getting to experience that and then just to sort of test it out and then come back to this where sometimes I've only got 15 turns to like get across an entire huge map and break down three strong points along the way. It was like, ah, oh, if only some of these developers could find like a happy medium or a way to sort of represent the pressures and the timetable of a war better than just constantly stressing us out of having to like, shit, why does every move have to be so economical? Like real generals make mistakes. Like no war goes to an actual timetable. Like punish me a little bit fine, but like, don't, don't give me basically game over scenarios because it took me two turns longer to get to Kiev than it should have following some like ethereal arbitrary timeline I'm supposed to be following. Well, I mean, today we're doing this show, recording it on April 20th, or the day before the game is released. Um, the developer posted on their website, you know, here's some stuff to know before the game comes out. And one of the things, one of the instructions is, do not fight too hard to get the bonus objectives. So you get the <laughs> bonus objectives, you're going to be setting yourself up for a lot of trouble. That they're nice if you can get them. But don't stress because you're gonna hurt yourself. That have been that would have been nice to know uh, last week that you know the, generally these bonus objectives are you know they're bonuses. They add to your prestige count, which would be useful during the conferences when you're souping up your headquarters. Um, but yeah, so I played you know a little bit uh, this afternoon after work and kind of ignored most of the object focused on like one bonus objective and didn't try to grab like two or three of them but just focus on gaining one and my life got a lot easier by saying because it's just i guess like a how war planner would work this is where i'm going to go for this is where our focus is and then the map just opened up in front of me um so that was a nice way of thinking about it um maybe they should not call those bonus objectives and just call them like plan A and plan B or something. Uh, because that was kind of how they end up, how they ended up working for me, at least until, you know, the maps got just ridiculously complicated. That was another part of this. Um, so when I think of unity of command one, um, in general, the maps felt pretty straightforward. Um, and I mean that both in the sense of the terrain generally wasn't that intricate. Um, a map might have a couple river crossings, which were a huge deal. It might have some swamp, um, a couple forests, but like generally I don't, these maps felt pretty sparse and pretty easy to read. Um, and Crucially, they I, I they were never all yeah. that big. You know what I mean? Like it didn't it didn't take 
too much to sort of assemble the full picture of what the map looked like and the various like the the flow of the map it, it wasn't too hard to keep that in your head um i think this started happening i think unity of command 2 has from from day one felt a little more expansive in terms of just how much ground these maps sometimes cover i felt like when i think about the poland expansion uh you know the the some of those scenarios start to get pretty big and you start having the hold really different sections of the map in your head uh, because it does feel suddenly like, oh, I'm commanding two army groups that effectively have different battlefields that they're on, but they converge at a certain point. And I need to keep both these battles in, in view and see where they impact each other and, and how to eventually weave them into a coherent, um, uh, a coherent strategy. I think Unity. I think Barbarossa is that, but like time by a factor of three, where some of these some of these maps are just like, I just start scrolling, and I'm like, that's a lot of rivers, forests, swampland, and roads that I have to like. I need to take a few minutes here and really think about how supply is supposed to move over this map. Uh, because just like putting together the picture of the maze uh, started to become a real, a real struggle. It's big. I mean, I, 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 you mentioned Unity of Command 1 a couple of times, and I think it's one of the best war games uh, of the last 25 years. And the maps are all very small. There's not a lot of scrolling involved in a Unity of Command uh, map. Um, and because these maps are all, you know, rectangles or war game maps, I can't use my internal geography to know, okay, Minsk is this far from Kiev and it's in that direction because everything's just at this weird angle um, and all the cities look the same size. Uh, all the urban areas, so there's no, at least in the larger maps, so you don't have that to go through. There's a little bit of disorientation. Um, and, you know, part of it is that my knowledge of Ukrainian villages isn't as strong as it should be, probably. It's going to get ready for the next war, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, there are, there, and because the maps are so large, um, it's not always clear where your supply points are going to be. You want to form a new supply point and you can see, okay, I'm going to take some trucks out so I can build a new supply point. And until you do that, you really don't have a good idea of, oh, how far can they stretch? Where should this be going? And that's one of the most important decisions you can make in a scenario is where your supply line should go. But, you know, where are the bridges? Where are, what if this bridge gets taken down uh, by the Russians? Um, there's just so much and not all of the important landmarks are very clearly marked on the map. Like I said, the urban areas should be marked larger and with more than just a nameplate. I mean, some of you have a nameplate over something that's called a, 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 a crossing. So it's, okay, it's a crossing like, is that a road? Is that like a ford? I and mean, What is that? How does that affect my supply? So I didn't always have a great sense for how the geography would play out for my strategic decisions. Um, Sometimes this, I think the smaller maps were a lot more interesting because small maps can be because often you would have you know, dramatic hills or um, everything would be exaggerated in a way it wouldn't be. 
on a larger scale map. So I was a little bit disoriented because um, the maps are quite a bit larger than I think they were in both USC, for sure more than USC 1, but I think more than USC 2. But again, I think it's partly appropriate to the theme. You want to have, you can't really do a proper Barbarossa game, I think, though you only have command did, I guess, but really do it justice unless you can have these large pincers uh, going down the right and the left, and then you just swallow up the center, which is being held off. Um, I I, I did that a few times, and it was just beautiful every time I did it. Um, when I made it work, I had to restart some scenarios a few times to make it work. So I think I think the scale is appropriate, but I, I do understand being confused by it, because at times I was. I actually enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I felt like that is what I that is an obstacle I would be facing invading someone else's country, that I would not be 100% on like what's the supply logistical situation going to be in this city that I'm two days away from. And I found that having to navigate those huge maps and like I know that the breaking down a strong point system is like probably a, a deeper thing to engage with, but my favourite part of Unity of Command of, of both games has always just been that simple supply management aspect yeah. of that juggling of, of advance and then managing the supplies to keep up with it and then in turn managing the further advances and the splitting of my forces for the supply that's coming up next turn, blah, blah, blah. And so I felt like Barbarossa has given me a lot more room to flex that side of the game than previous campaigns did. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying those ones where I'm having to just completely stretch my supply line to its absolute limits as it's, you know, three quarters of the way across this enormously huge map. Um, Cause that to me is like, I don't know. It's just what I like about this game the most. And so I found that this sort of setting and these, these huge missions, while they do obviously have a lot of their problems, I'm actually, that's one problem I'm actually really enjoying. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, I, I think all of this stuff is also necessary to make a uh, more authentic Barbarossa game. Um, like, in many ways, Unity of Command 1 feels, you know, very like sort of the, the fantasy Barbarossa. And the campaign here feels a little more rooted in just how hard the campaign actually was and not just as an abstract like puzzle to solve, but like the terrain, the, the countryside feels deeply hostile uh, in this game. Like there's so many places where the supply is going to be severely attenuated uh, just you know, two hexes off the road, there will be no supply. Um, and so you will have, you will have advances happening where you literally can't broaden your front um, more than for like longer than one turn uh, because immediately the units on the flanks will just be out of supply um, and the entire effort will start crumbling. And so it's, it's funny, like, like in, in a lot of ways, this feels a lot more like uh, some of the stuff I've, I've read about Barbarossa, you know, in the last few years. Um, and it feels a lot more in tune with the recognition that like 
Barbarossa was from the start a bit of a wing and a prayer effort to try and get this done just because the sheer expanse uh, and complexity of the geography, plus the fact that like the rail links don't go where you need them to at all. And so you will be hanging a lot on supply lines running along like dirt track roads. All of that stuff makes for probably a better war game in a lot of ways, or at least a better representation of this history. I think for me, the, the, the real tension is just, um, it's a little less satisfying maybe. Um, because I, cause I also feel like unity of command one, when you finished a scenario and you got a good, you got, you got a good score, you performed well, it was very easy to be like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm done with it here. I always feel like oh, I just need to go back and I could try that one more time. I could have done that better. But the funny thing is, um, I could also see over time, this being a game I end up spending a lot of time on because there are so many different ways all of this could go. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many different approaches I could take to running these campaigns uh, that in, in some ways, like as frustrating as it can be sometimes, I also have to admit, I come out of a lot of these scenarios feeling like I'm also really kind of interested in seeing, for instance, what happens if I really just dumped points in the command range of one of these Panzer group headquarters, right? Like how would that have changed things if I didn't have to keep that group bunched up and I could have just had those tanks roving everywhere. Um, all these things become interesting questions for later playthroughs and might allow for completely different paths through the map than you took before because you just couldn't get to the places where you saw opportunities. Uh, but if you made different choices, maybe you could have. Uh, so I don't know. It's like, I am so, I am so conflicted about this. Cause like, it's so many things I want for more war games where there's room for variety. Uh, it's not just a puzzle with a single solution. On the other hand, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, damn, Unity of Command 1 sure felt good. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get what you're saying. And I mean, I don't think these... That this is you know, I'll come back to over and over again because the scenarios do take very long, but I find it very satisfying in a very visceral war game type way. I like these games more than I do the Panzer Corps games, for example. Uh, even though Panzer Corps Two is much better than the original, I think the uh, Pan uh, yeah and uh, then the remake, and I think Order of Battle, which is another Panzer Corps type game, is better even yet. Um, I think I like the Unity of Command thing better because there are many different ways you can approach the battle. Now, part of this is because of the different cards you get. You can get some absolutely worthless cards uh, in your conference, and that will affect how you can fight that battle, or you can get really, really lucky. Um, but there is no... Because the maps are large, and unlike... Uh, UOC 1, there aren't as many, and unlike the Panzer Corps games, there aren't as many hit the city a thousand times until it finally collapses type things. Uh, it really is 
a war of momentum and a war of movement and a war of getting their firstest with the mostest. Um, and it does reward things like reconnaissance. It rewards things like moving your headquarters to the right place. It rewards anticipation of where, how far your troops will be able to go so you can get your supply range up and going and ready for when they, they, they get there. Uh, so they're not out of supply for too long. It it really is sub a game that it is certainly harder the Unity of Command One, and I don't know some people find it a bit not quite the casual friendly game that USC One is, and it certainly does mean you have to look at a lot of menus, you have to know when to do your feints and your suppressive fires, and do all of that. Um, so yeah, if you're in that kind of micromanagement and just want to smash smash your army men together this isn't the game for you anymore. But it is a game that still forces you to think about where you want to be in three turns. Um, and then when your plan gets interrupted by a bunch of T-34s, okay, how quickly can I get my panzers there to break that? Where is my AT gun? I know I have a flak in one of these units. Which one is it? Um, and that's kind of fun. There's a bit of a some planning off some seat of your pants stuff and dealing with situations as they arise. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be doing a War in the East 2 uh, show or not. I mean, that is a game that is that is still quite good. The Greg Speed has always been good at the War in the East, but in some ways it feels a little bit stultified compared to something that it still feels quite dynamic, even when I am bogged down in the Crimea. Yeah, it's funny. We we spend a lot of time talking about things that frustrate us <laughs> about this, but at the same time, so much of I think has what's frustrated me about Barbarossa is only on the fringes, and I'm only sort of noticing them because I'm enjoying everything else. Yeah, about it so much. I th I think the 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 fundamental systems that drive Unity of Command two are you know, it's almost as if they are so fantastic that how well they work is simply dependent now on the campaign and the maps that they're being applied to. And so it's like in this instance, okay, the card system, which was really cool in Normandy because it was good to get naval support and all these different types of airstrikes and whatever. Barbarossa, okay, maybe the card system's not working so well because we just need more airstrikes and maybe a better way to handle airstrikes or air superiority. The supply line stuff that maybe wasn't as big a deal in Italy is now an enormously huge deal here. Like it's it's almost like, yeah, I'm having to critique this expansion as a as like critiquing Barbarossa itself almost. It's like I'm having. I am now living through the stupidity of this decision to invade Russia in this timetable <laughs> on this amount of space with this amount of men, and it's not not all of its unity of command two's fault that I'm being frustrated by this stuff. The main fault lies with the Wehrmacht in 1941, and we're just sort of living through that again. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I have enjoyed here is that in a few in a few scenarios. Um, the game even warns you, hey, don't get bogged down uh, closing out encircled pockets. 
and I'm like, cool, yeah, that's that's what I what I generally do in this game. I don't like I, like I I try to get the encirclements, but then I just try to let those units weather. Um, here it's like, yeah, all all well and good game, but the problem is the encircled troops are just beating the shit out of my encirclement. Um, and there are a lot of moments that this game throws up where like you're faced with a really tough choice of on the one hand, I should keep this mechanized spearhead heading further East going for the logistical jugular, which usually also means going for one of the main objectives of the scenario. I should just keep doing that. The problem is that I also desperately need them to be a fire brigade veering to handle, um, you know, Troy mentioned like T-34 is just appearing and yeah, like there are a lot of times when things seem to be going well. And then on the Soviet turn, it's like, okay, now I've just got a ton of Russian tanks in my face. And if I don't proactively engage them, they can inflict a lot of damage on my units. Um, they probably can't destroy my army, but they can definitely like beat up the cordon of forces uh, that I'm using to sort of hold the encirclement in place. Um, and, and so this game does do a good job of, um, in, in a way that I don't think any of command one really ever, ever did it does a good job of, of, of kind of forcing you to make those detours toward like, okay, um, we need to take a pause here and forget about the big picture because I need this entire panzer group to spin South and crush this armored counterattack. Um, and once that's done, we can resume. But if I don't get this thing back under control, the infantry is just going to be gutted. Uh, and the the pocket is going to be much less consistent. And I don't think I don't think that system I, I don't think those dilemmas came up nearly as much in Unity of Command One. Um maybe in, in the Red Turn DLC mm -hmm. uh it happens. And I feel like the scenarios in the base Unity of Command One Unity of Command Two maybe were a little bit more self-contained and you didn't have, you didn't have as much possibility to move huge formations to different parts of the map to intervene uh, in different places. But here I'm constantly sort of confronting that feeling of, you know, there's just too many Soviets. <laughs> there's just, there are too many dudes here. I think um one of the, other parts of this that has really come into its own. Uh, and, and, and Luke, you, you mentioned just some things that never were really issues. You had to worry about too much um, in, you know, the, the Western front uh, part of uh, unit command two. I found that, um, yeah, I, I was running up against the supply range and the command range issue fully like every turn sometimes like over a third of my army might just be out of command or out of supply and i would have one turn to figure out like how i'm going to close that gap um because when i think back to unity of command 2 
the 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 base game once in a while a unit might be out of range once in a while i might need to move a hq into a more convenient location or like rush supplies somewhere uh but here it's like wow that system can be really devastating if the map's bigger uh and the and, and your your area of operation and your uh and and your 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 road network is more sparse yeah the hq range thing definitely got me multiple times um i don't remember it being a huge issue previously but then i don't remember maps being consistently this big each in a row either where like i said i tended to always have my supply lines generally doing well but yeah some of those bigger maps especially the foot the there's a i forget all their names because i played them like back to back to back to back so quickly but there's there's an early one where you have an you start with an enormous encirclement already in position of some russian forces and you, it's the first mission where you get a huge number of romanian troops down the south and you've got three or four different commands like hq units on the map at the same time and i just found it impossible to just keep even one or two of them within range at all times because my, my forces were having to spread out like they were having to move so fast and spread out so far that the hqs just couldn't keep up and i felt like like i said like i just said where you know the game systems are going to be pulled in different directions depending on the scenario. I feel like the HQ range here was like, yeah, along with the air superiority was one of the real things that stood out for me because I just kept like being really frustrated that if my units are in supply and they can communicate with HQ, can't they do some of this stuff? Like it felt really limiting that I was having to wait for HQ to be in range just to do like a, a brief like river crossing or build a pontoon bridge. I felt like something I should be able to like these, these crack soldiers should be able to like do their job without HQ being, you know, so close to them yet because the system demands that the HQs be that close. Yeah. I just found on some of these larger maps, the the movement range and the, the upgrade range and that like stuff like that just could not keep up with it. And that's See, here. I think, I actually like the HQ system a lot and the special order system a lot. I think in part because I think this is the thing you do to make a lot of this abstraction work. Uh, because I think the solution to some of what you're talking about there, where it's like, it feels like my units should be able to to do this river crossing. Well, no, like, I mean... What, like every the tankers just have pontoon gear with them now the the thing they're doing that's very smart is if you don't have this abstraction um i think you end up with a really crowded map where you have lots of support units running around and you've got a lot of like boring um i always think back to like railway repair mm. in war in the east or operation art of war where like you've got little engineer units running around just repairing rail lines I don't want to do that shit. I don't want, I don't want to be trying to track down, oh, damn, where's that one engineer unit that I can send over that river? Or do I pull them off rail duty? I like that the HQ is just like the place where all the special tactics and all the um, like battlefield transformation abilities are just held there. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I I agree. I really I I really like that too. My my issue here was the range of the HQs always seems so limited versus how oh, yeah. a lot of the other systems were working. Like if my supply lines are unbroken and they're working this far, why is my HQ 
like why is this reach so much shorter like shouldn't it be part of the same like reach should it not be able to plug into some of that i don't know it, it's not a i didn't have a problem with the system yeah. itself just more the 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 breadth and the width to which it could be applied in these maps where it just couldn't reach in time like maybe they could have just juiced the <laughs> juiced the range levels to accommodate for the bigger well, maps or something i don't know you, but you, you, then that's the thing you could have juiced the range levels and I think if I if I went back through this again, I would probably dump a lot more points into command range on yep. the Panzer units because it just never it's it's really devilish because like the main army groups have the most troops under their command, no doubt. But those Panzer units, those Panzers and the mechanized infantry, can go really far afield. And what felt like a generous seven hex command radius, you, you get you get out there and you're like, I can't command shit. Like every single one of these guys is outside the radius and there's nowhere I can even move my HQ to to bring everyone back because some of the arms are just so far apart that like I can't I'm just going to have to rein these guys back in. Um, it's I, I, I do kind of like. Um, just how really devilish a lot of the problems of the command radius stuff uh, became and just how it changes the way um, you interact with your armored units to an extent, right? Like suddenly I had to really pause and think, oh, I really need that oversupply unit ability. Because uh, if I want this tank to do any sort of deep strike, I need it to be out there uh, without me having to have an hq nearby um because i just can't there's there's nowhere safe for me to park this hq even it's such a wild battlefield that there's just nowhere for me to uh to sort of move up and so it it did create cool little moments where i would suddenly have to think about like oh shit i need to take that town because if i take that town that is a good central location that will open up supply lines and would be a good place to park an HQ that could exert influence over a huge part of the battlefield. And so it did drive like um, it made more parts of the map feel like organic objectives, which I think a lot of war games struggle to do, right? Like a lot of war games don't have a feeling of, anything really mattering that much beyond whatever is the special victory hex they've designated. I think there's some smart things in the system that make it so that depending on how the game plays out, the decisive point might just be a place that's not marked by victory locations, but just because the way you played it, turns out you've got to take this forest now. That's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, more often than not, I'd be using forests as... You know, a place to they're they're safe for infantry to go into, but they also slow down infantry movement. So, I would just trap a bunch of Russian soldiers in a forest. They couldn't get out, and I'd run some tanks behind them. And I'd starve them to death, and it would be great because uh, they couldn't pull out very quickly uh, because of the woods and the rivers generally, which were nearby. And it it really does. I really do like the of command system. I, I they're. I kind of wish that they were a little more generous with uh, the turns. Um, and, you know, I found it way twice. I ended a conference by accident. I just was opening a conference. And for some reason, it read that as a double click. 
not even double clicked in a long time. Um, and I ended up getting out of a conference. So there should be like, are you sure you want to do this sort of prompts? Uh, in a few more places. They do have one really nice uh, one. Hey, remind me that I have Slovaks and Romanians sitting in the reinforcement pool and they're going to be really useful. Thanks, Slovakia. Yeah. They're going to be great cannon fodder. Uh, stay in the back where you can't get hurt. Um, so there are a few UX things uh, I would generally... Uh, improve a good and and it can be confusing and frustrating but i really really do love this system um i i'm a, I'm a big big I, I still think the for beginners the first unity of command is a much easier salazar war game but there's so much to admire here as frustrating as it can be and as much as it kind of misses the boat in a few places i mean let's be frank how many really good barbarossa games are there it is a very very you know bruce garrick on this to give his opinion on tabletop barbarossa games how many good ones actually are there of the hundreds and hundreds that try to make this an interesting and playable campaign yes yeah, i think they're um if you know, Barbarossa feels like a, uh, a a thing I've done a million times, but in general, it's it's through the like it's Unity of Command or it's War in the East or it's um, you know, like if you think about close combat, it's very handled. It's sort of brushed off because the Soviets are so outgunned uh, that it's kind of <laughs> preliminary before the the real uh, heart of the game, which is like Stalingrad and Kursk and the uh, the push west, but. Yeah, I think it it does a really good job of distilling this all to uh, its its essence. It just happens to be a very different essence than I think the the previous game uh, had, and it's it, it's it's a funny thing. I, I think for it, maybe what what this has clarified for me is that Unity of Command 1 became sort of a um, comfort mm -hmm. game for me. It became very much a uh, kill, a, kill a few minutes. It, not quite idle, because the puzzles were good. But it also didn't demand that much of me, because it was largely about trying a few different things and seeing which one of them took. Um, this feels very much more like a demanding war game where at every moment there's so much more to consider and so much more to think about and probably on balance that's probably going to make this a more rewarding game over the long haul like i might not finish with this the way that like i eventually finished with uh unity of command one and i might not get bored of it the way i got bored of like panzer Corps one um, but it also doesn't necessarily provide the positive feedback <laughs> that I've been conditioned by so many games to crave, um, where here it's like, no, man, you're invading Russia with not enough troops and not <laughs> enough time. It's going to feel bad. And I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, I think that's, I've touched on this already, but I think that's what, one of the things that's got me 
sort of enjoying the hardships of this more than anything else is that it sort of seems to be taking into account not only feedback from like, like I'm sure a number of us have written pieces about how uncomfortable we are. I know I did for Kotaku last year. I think I linked something you've written, Rob, in that about how uncomfortable it can be celebrating Nazi victories in a war game. Like you don't want too much positive feedback about maneuvers that you're executing that end up, you know, killing literally millions of people through, you know, neglect and punishment and torture and abandonment and genocide. But, you know, you, you want to balance that with some kind of positive game feedback. But then there's also the, the, the fact that I really feel like this whole campaign has taken into account some sort of more recent historical examinations of Barbarossa, that it's traditionally, especially in a gaming space, been viewed as this sort of self-contained chapter. You know, if there's a story of the Second World War, this is a chapter of breathless advance and nonstop victory and enormous triumph. And then you don't turn the page until 1942 and start to find things going very bad for Nazi Germany. Whereas this, this sort of by putting you in the direct position of encountering all these hardships that, that we've talked about in, in Barbarossa and how that's reflected in Unity of Command systems, we're sort of really getting an idea that, okay, man, like this was doomed from the start and this was bad from the start. Like things ended up going so badly for them because you had to overreach and engage in this campaign that your systems, you know, your systems, not just being our systems, but Nazi Germany's systems in 1941 could not keep up with, could not handle in, in maps. They couldn't overcome against an enemy that just kept coming no matter how many times you encircled them. And so it's almost like a, a, a really fun little piece of, education like hey you want to see how like how bad an idea barbarossa really was beyond the memes of like oh it's russian winter play this campaign and see how hard it is and see how miserable it is even when you're winning and, and accomplishing these huge advances like that's what barbarossa is and so it might end up being like gameplay wise this this campaign might end up and, and where they go with the unity of command 2 might end up being something really cool but like i just think it's really cool that it's such like within the confines of the genre, it's such a cool exploration of how this actually went down of how little they've had to really sacrifice in terms of like, I don't want to say literal historical accuracy, but the feel of the campaign from a strategic level is really coming across as you sort of struggle your way deeper and deeper through this campaign. You brought up, actually, that's a really good point you brought up um, about the way it is creating a little more context, uh, just because of the way it's, it's constructed, but also some of the framing it does. One thing I that, that did jump out at me here is, uh, did you notice that each HQ you pass over in the conference stage, the game has a little blurb about the fate of this unit and its commander at the time. And it reminds me a little bit of like the opening section of um, like the Killer Angels where like the Dramatis Personae is sort of introduced and you learn what is the ultimate, you know, what's going to happen to this cast of characters. And Unity Command kind of does that, where, like, it's it's blurb on Rundstedt is, you know, he typifies the Prussian tradition, um, you know, professional professionalism and a code of honor and a disinterest in politics and a tolerance for war crimes. And that's a brief but very damning verdict on uh, on Rundstedt. Um, some of these other guys, you know... It takes it takes Kadarian to the woodshed for sure, uh, where it calls out the fact that, you know, some people feel he may have been a better author than a commander. Um, I kind of enjoyed the fact that, like, you know, even in the conference stage, the game is 
taking a moment to put these guys in their place, uh, both literally and, and figuratively, and helping you sort of figure out like what to make of these characters. Uh, that you know, some of these guys will be executed for taking part in the plot to kill Hitler. Other of them, others of them will will sort of get away scot free, um, and some will, will be disgraced. And I thought that was a cool way of framing this because I think Barbarossa is a fascinating campaign, but Unity of Command Two does a decent job of keeping that context in view. And then the other big difference is that. Um, Unity of Command 1, I think the scenario designer on Unity of Command 1, the base game, might have just been uh, Tomislav uh, Uzlak. Um, whereas I think since then, the the scenario design team has gotten bigger. Um, and this one does feel a little bit more like, well, no, it's not like the so the German Blitzkriegs were just like slicing and dicing the Red Army. Like it was a hard fought campaign, and these outnumbered these these outgunned uh, Soviet troops did really fight hard and do a lot to derail the timeline of the German advance. And I think Unit Command One, it's very much kind of in love with this idea of through good generalship, you rendered moot these huge numbers of Soviet troops. And here it never feels like they're all that passive. They might be, you know, to your point, Troy, they might not be good troops, but there are so many of them. And just out of their sheer numbers, they can wear you down to the point where like a great unit just dies by a thousand cuts and you see them implode uh, because they could absorb three hits, but not four. And the, and the AI will aggressively use the, the no retreat for its units on defense. It will stand there every now and then uh, just to keep you, just instead of running away, which many of them do, it will, at certain points when you're getting near a victory point, it will use the stand your ground uh, action or whatever it's called and force you to hit it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's um I I think and and that's a good mechanical change, but I think it does also a lot of work to reframe the way you might view um this part of the war cuz I think part mm -hmm. of the the mythologization of the the Wehrmacht is ah through cleverness and uh you know you know dash and 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 professionalism uh they they conquered the eastern hordes and uh who who just fell apart as as they as the Wehrmacht ran circles around them and you play this game and you're trying to run those circles and they're just coming at you and just beating the hell out of you and you're like oh no like the reason like one of the reasons this didn't work is just because even when things are going to plan the germans are taking so much damage uh, that every turn, those punches that you can throw are just a little bit weaker. Um, and it feels it feels not as good to, to be commanding. But again, like when I think about just the way these battles feel, feels real good as a war game. Feels cool. So I don't know. Like, I think for me, um, 
I think this is, I, I think this is an expansion I'm going to sink a lot more time into. I think this is going to be something I'm coming back to a lot over the next couple of years. Um, I've sort of done that with Unity Command 2, the base game, as it is. I like the system a lot. I think there's a lot in Barbarossa that, like, I've got a few different ideas on how I would approach it uh, the next time around. And, yeah, I'm I'm happy that that space is opening up. I just wish um, a little more of that joy had also made the transition, right? That it was a little bit less of a hair-pulling exercise sometimes and a, a, a little more flattering uh, to my operational ego. Uh, how about y'all? <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... I think I, I've said how I've sort of enjoyed so many of the hardships on a historical basis. I think there is a balance to slightly be found in making those less arduous from like a personal standpoint. Like I, I would like to learn more about the horrible history of Barbarossa and how difficult it was, but at the same time have slightly less difficult and downer of a time doing it from like a gameplay perspective. It's definitely... um I was planning to finish it and then immediately go back and try again, but I think I'm just going to immediately go back and try again now. I think I'm so far sort of behind where I want to be and I think I've learned enough. I'm probably two-thirds of the way through. I think I've seen enough now to be like, all right, I have massively under or misprepared everything. Like every conference decision I've made has been wrong, basically. Um, <laughs> I would like to go back now and do that properly and see if it just improves anything. Like see if I have like a better time like the same challenges, but a better time with it going into it. Like, all right, I need river crossings. I need those precision airstrikes and I need to really just stop going for those bonus objectives and concentrate on the the main ones and see if it, yeah. See if I can find a bit better of a balance between enjoying the historical commentary of it, but also like still making this a fun war game to play. Troy, do you approve of the Barbarossa expansion? Like if yeah, let me ask you this: like If it. you had to choose between playing this or University of Command One, it's treatment of Barbarossa. Uh, where do you think you're going to gravitate to in the next, like, if, if a couple of years from now you're debating that? Oh, it, it, it's going to be this one. I mean, University of I mean, Unity of Command One is a brilliant game and it's outstanding, but it doesn't offer as many options or as much variety. I think. Um, it was much more, I think, it wasn't, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't call it a puzzle-oriented, puzzle, puzzle oriented, but it was very much about, okay, make sure you get your rolls and your hits in these places, otherwise you should restart uh, sort of thing, which you don't have here uh, in, in any way at all. I, I'm a, I I do think this is a really good system. Um, I kind of hope he has an Africa one soon. I think the Italians running out of supplies in in Libya is always fun. Yeah. It's funny. It, it, it's hilarious. It's funny. Uh, I was going to say, it's funny and fun. Africa before Torch, I think, could be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. For me, like playing this, I'm super interested in seeing this game tackle post. Um, Soviet counterattack around Stalingrad. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm yeah. thinking back to like the red turn for Unique Man one, which I, in retrospect, I think kind of pointed the direction they were already headed, which was mm-hmm. 
we're losing interest in this like grand encirclement ver- vision of World War II. And like that was their attempt within that system to create something that felt like Soviet doctrine, right? Where like you're just kind of grinding up the best German units. And once they're powder, then you have your breakthrough. But first you got to grind. Um, I'm, I actually think this system is probably really well suited to capturing that stage of the war as the Soviets drive the Germans back West. And so like playing this, I'm like, this is good. This is, this is cool. I am really eager to see a 43 through 45 um, version of unity of command two. And so I think that's where I'm, I'm keenest. Yeah. That and early, like, like Troy already said, early stages, North Africa seem even more perfect to me. Like, to Brook, El Alamein, those, those, that kind of open desert tank warfare, juggling the the highly precarious lines of supply, juggling, you know, there's some there's some naval aspects to it as well. Like it, it takes, I feel like a, a dedicated North Africa campaign could take everything that like that I like about. I think that's an Aussie answer, though. I don't trust it. Oh, come on! I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get some representation somewhere in this game, probably. <laughs> um, it takes everything I like about Barbarossa and the other missions, like the the stretching the line of supply, making rapid encircling advances with tanks, that kind of stuff, and just takes it to the absolute extreme. Like it's the desert. It's not a nice place. I don't have to worry about swamps and forests here. I just have to worry about that one road, that one rail line or that one mountain pass and like just take everything to the extremes and see how it handles. All right. Well, hopefully we get all our wishes granted uh, in the next couple of years of development, development for uh unity of command two but for now that will do it for this week we hope you've enjoyed the show uh this episode was produced by len hafer three moves ahead is hosted on the idle thumbs network you learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at three moves or follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash three ma finally three moves that is supported by listeners just like you on patreon uh you can learn more at patreon.com slash three ma uh we'll be back next week with another episode of three moves ahead until then for luke and for troy this is rob zachney saying good night